Welcome to the Metal Tech Podcast, this region's leading business podcast, shining a light on technology, entrepreneurship, and the future of business in Kentucky and beyond. Our goal is to advance the ecosystem by bringing attention to the founders, changemakers, innovators, and those supporting them. Middle Tech's content can be found on your favorite podcast streaming app, social channels, and YouTube. We encourage you to follow and participate in the conversation. Let's discuss and build the future. What's going on, guys? You've got Evan Knowles and Logan Jones here at the Middle Tech Podcast. We just had an awesome conversation with Adam Edlin, who is the founder and CEO of Edlin Renewables and Venture. Uh, group. So awesome conversation. This guy has a very impressive background in politics, uh, chief of staff to the governor, uh, state auditor, but he decided to leave politics so he could have more of an opportunity to create massive change more quickly. Uh, You know, government is notorious for moving slowly. And so he wanted to move fast, break things and really create uh, a legacy for not only himself, but the state through renewable energy. So he's really working hard to bring renewable energy projects in the form of solar to the parts of the world and Kentucky and this region that need it most because, you know, they're coal country. They need all the dollars they can get to not only create more jobs, but create investment opportunities in those regions uh, to bring more uh, sustainability, uh, both in terms of energy, but uh, sustainability in the terms of job security and the economy. And that's really important stuff. So he's really working hard to create change here in this region that we need it. Uh, We need it really bad. Uh, we were laughing before the conversation. Uh, Logan and I were trying to give him some tips and asking him if he read the notes or you know, how the conversation is going to go. He doesn't need any of that. Uh, this guy is uh, a professional speaker uh, as well as what he's doing uh, all day that we just mentioned. Uh, and it was a, just a great conversation. And he's just you know, somebody that I thought was one of the best speakers we've had on. You know, you are, he's engaging. You want to listen to him because of how good he is. So awesome conversation. I'm glad we were able to bring him on. There's very few episodes that I look forward to editing, but this is going to be one of those <laughs> that I look forward to editing because I'm looking at his audio that we just recorded and it's all like consistent and nice. And he just has a really nice voice to listen to. So I think you guys are going to not only enjoy what he has to say, but just enjoy listening to him talk as well. Um, but one of my favorite parts of the conversation is, uh, you know, he's had this long career in government and he's he's done all of these incredible things uh, within the state of Kentucky. And he ultimately ends up running for for governor. Um, ends up losing that race, but does not let that stop him from making an incredible impact on the state. Uh, takes that failure and goes straight into starting Edelin Ventures and and going after this renewable energies idea. Uh, and I think that's just one of those things that I look at that and I'm like, that's just somebody who has the network and the confidence in themselves and uh, realizes the opportunities that are in front of them and just goes out and does it. Like that's just somebody who is an absolute doer. Um, and that's something that I think is super significant. I hope that our listeners take away is, you, you can go out and you can find these opportunities and you can pull the right people and processes together and just accomplish incredible things. That's what we've seen with App Harvest. That's what you're going to hear Adam talk about with with what they're doing in uh, the renewable space. Um, and he also just had a great perspective on the state of renewables within Kentucky. And he gave some really candid feedback. You know, uh, I don't think Evan and I really knew this, but Kentucky might not be doing as well as we should be doing. Uh, as far as renewables are concerned. So he, not only did he give some good candid feedback, uh, but he was very knowledgeable about laying out the steps that are necessary for the state to take for for us to get to that sustainable future um, and, and kind of usher Kentucky into that new age of energy that 
uh, I think we all want to see us go into. Um, so like Evan said, awesome conversation. We're super excited for you guys to listen to this one and uh, learn a little bit more about what's actually going on uh, in the state of renewables within the state. And, you know, it's not even limited to Kentucky. This guy is doing uh, projects all over the country. Virginia. New Mexico, I think you mentioned as well. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, before we dive in here, as always, we want to give a shout out to our sponsors, uh, one of which actually gave us the introduction to Adam. Uh, so not only are we thankful for their sponsorship, but we're thankful for the continued support of this podcast. Those guys are obviously Land Betterment Corporation. Uh, so huge shout out to those guys. Not only do they provide us some monetary support to do what we do, but they also provide awesome guests for us to interview on the podcast as well. Uh, so you can learn more about them on episode 97. Um, but what they're doing just real briefly, they're taking uh, abandoned strip mines, putting sustainable businesses uh, on those mines and creating jobs for the communities uh, that have lost them. So if you'd like to learn more about Land Betterment, you can also go and visit landbetterment.com. Yep. Next, we've got uh, Brandon Johnson, who has uh, become a friend and somebody that I've worked with on the law side of things. Uh, he's he's the attorney to to my startup. He does a great job. Several of my friends have started working with him. Uh, they all have great things to say about working with Brandon. He makes it fun. Uh, he's very knowledgeable, makes it something that is comprehensible. You know, one of the scary things about law is, and this is why you work with a lawyer, is like you're looking for that peace of mind uh, because when you look at the documents that you're supposed to put together, sure, there's templates out there and there's ways to do it yourself, but really you're looking for peace of mind and a partner to help you along and hold your hand and all that so you feel you know, more, uh, more secure in what you're doing and building your company because you're taking it so seriously. And if you mess up like one small thing on the law side, it could hurt way down the road. And so Brandon just does a really good, great job holding your hand and taking you through that, being approachable. Uh, and I really encourage reaching out to him uh, to do a consult, you know, just to sit down with him, say, hey, you know, I'm building this or I'm working on this. Uh, I, I got a trademark I want to work on. I want to, you know, do some kind of restricted stock agreement. I want to set up my corporation. You set up some documents. Just reach out. Uh, go to middletech.com, middletechpod.com slash Johnson Law, and you'll, uh, you'll go to his website and encourage you to reach out. All right, let's go ahead and dive into this episode. We hope you guys enjoy. All right, what's going on, everybody? We're here with Adam Edlin, the founder and CEO of Edlin Renewables. He's also the previous chief of staff to the governor of Kentucky and the state auditor. So That's right. Welcome. Appreciate it. It's good to be with you, fellas. It's going to be a good conversation. It will. Before we get into you know Edlin Ventures, Edlin Renewables, let's get into your background. So let's mm -hmm. understand you know where you come from, your professional background up until this point. So start wherever you want. Yeah, you know, I think everybody, uh, I think the man is the son of the child, right? So I grew up in Meade County, Kentucky. My dad is a tobacco farmer. Um, his farm, my family's farm for a century and a half in this state. Uh, my mother had me at 16. I wasn't born with a lot of advantages, but uh, they worked to give me every opportunity of education and, and everything else. And I hated working in the tobacco patch, fellas, so it taught me uh, not to be afraid of hard work, but it taught me I wanted to do something else. So I uh, have always been interested in uh, current events, and that led to a love of government and public service. And I was fortunate to have a great career that you know, resulted with being uh, you know, a 20-year-old aide to Governor uh, Paul Patton and a 33-year-old chief of staff to Governor Steve Beshear. And a candidate for governor on my own at 44. So it, it's been a heck of a ride. And, and as much as I love my career in politics, it's always been about 
being able to affect a big significant outcome. And now I'm a, you know, I've got a solar development company uh, here based here in Lexington with a portfolio of about 15 projects in seven states reflecting a capital investment of about $2 billion. So lots going on and we're trying to affect big, important change and a time that I think rewards that. And so, you know, the central thread through my career in, in public service or my career as an entrepreneur is that I want to leave legacy. I want to do big, important things that help transform communities and, and prepare people I care a lot about for the future. And yeah. so I've, I've been able to find an outlet to do that professionally, and I'm really grateful. Love it. So what do you think about your past work, you know, in the government prepared you for what you do now? What are some takeaways? So big is that I'm horribly impatient and that's not a great natural match for government or politics in Kentucky, <laughs> yeah. where we sort of have this tolerance and, and, you know, the, I love this state. I love almost every square inch of it, uh, outside of New Sur- uh, at, at Nicholasville road, which I'm stuck in traffic on today. Out, yeah. Maybe not my favorite place in Kentucky, but what I learned is, um, you know, this is a state that often confuses survival with thriving Hmm. and we got to get, we got to do better than that. And so I'm in a hurry to do big things because we don't, one, we, we don't have the liberty of patience in, in Kentucky or frankly the South, right? I mean, we, we are flyover America and the truth of the situation is that time is not on our side. We have the same problems we had 50 years ago and they, except they don't age like bourbon, they age like milk, which is a real problem. Um, so, you know, I've learned that this is a state that can't be patient uh, yet we have a political culture that rewards patience. And I think, you know, the, what's happening in the private sector, you know, whether you're, you know, this crazy wild eyed guy, Jonathan Webb, who has this insane idea to turn Kentucky into the next global capital of an Appalachia uh, into a global capital for for in-house, you know, agriculture. That's a crazy thing, but it's worked and it's creating wealth and it's going to help drive the future of the state. We've got to embrace the things that reflect modernity, right? I mean, we've got to, you can't be bigoted. You can't have institutions that are bigoted. You have to develop a welcoming relationship to people who don't look like you or think like you or believe like you. You've got to invest in people, both physical and intellectual infrastructure, and we've got to embrace renewable energy. This is this is a market force. And, you know, people who want to talk about, you know, um, well, this economy is being subsidized by the government. Guess that's just BS. I mean, the explosion in renewable energy that you're seeing in, in America today is is a market force. And it's happening in spite of government, not because of it. I mean, we've got half a billion dollars worth of projects that we're moving along, primarily in coal company, coal country in Kentucky in the solar space. Believe me, the state government had nothing to do with any of this that's happening. Now, it's our hope that they're getting with the program. But leaders make the difference, fellas. And whether you're in business, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're in public life, um, this is really where our great hope is. And so I'm an evangelist for modernity. I'm an evangelist that we have got to, uh, the future isn't something to be feared. It's something to be fashioned and we're just not there yet, but there are a few really great bright lights. Uh, there are, there are many great bright lights sort of painting a picture and I'm, I'm, I hope I'm one of them. Yeah. You mentioned, uh, you, you want to leave a legacy. Mm-hmm. And I think the two best ways to leave a legacy uh, are, one, to get involved in, in leadership, in government, in politics, 
and two, to be an entrepreneur and to start start businesses. So lead this, lead us into from transitioning out of government and into being an entrepreneur. Tell us about Edelman Ventures and, and when you first had that idea. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I think um, good things happen to people who uh, who fail. And, and I certainly did. I lost an election, was flat on my back and trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. And um, I, w- I was very fortunate to have a number of people who made made me job offers. But, fellas, I'm a farmer's kid. Being your own boss is in my DNA. And so I was able to cobble together a handful of, of offers and do a management consultancy where we really focused on helping expansion stage companies do just that, primarily here in Kentucky and in the South. And that grew over the over a, over a, a couple of years, and then we were approached by a very good friend of mine who I'd gone to college with, who uh, was working for one of the largest coal land companies in all of Appalachia. And he said, "Adam, I've I've got the job of diversification. Coal's not coming back, and we've got hundreds of thousands of acres of." mountaintop removal sites and what can you do with it and and we had this conversation I'll never forget it I was new to my office I mean we I had a desk and a couch and didn't even have stuff on the walls yet and we had a conversation and we talked about all the things we can do and we ran through the easy stuff like ATV trails or campgrounds or you know uh, shooting you know facilities and I said, well, what about a what about a renewable energy project? And I'll never forget, Ryan looked at me, Ryan Johns with the Ross Harris Group looked right at me and he said, what in the hell is that? And I said, I don't know. It's like turbines and solar panels or something. But but on the periphery of my na- of my network, by virtue of having been elected a, an elected Democrat in the South, I was sort of at the time something of a unicorn and got the opportunity to give speeches where I had no business. Right. Like I've I've gave a keynote address on the campus of Stanford. I've spoken at the Union League Club in Chicago. I've spoken in, in, in you know, in New York City to investment bankers just because it was I was sort of like a unicorn. Right. And so on the periphery of that network, I had some I had some uh friends uh, who worked in renewable energy. And the pitch was, hey, um, we really don't know what we're doing here, but I've got a coal company that has unlimited land resources that would like to partner with a renewable energy firm, maybe to put some panels up or some turbines and create some jobs for out-of-work miners. You know, what do you think? And, you know, every good entrepreneur should be able to read a room, right? And so when the response is, we're in, and then they called back a few hours later and said, hey, we'd like to fly into eastern Kentucky to see what you're talking about. Does next Thursday work? You know, we realized we had lightning in a bottle in terms of a concept. So we took a step back, actually learned what we're, you know, what we're talking about um, and have gone through the ups and downs with that process and, and have lost deals and saved deals. And now we've got our first project that will go to construction early next year. Um it, it's been a heck of a ride, but but the renewable practice really did consume my business. And so we still have a couple of uh, management consultancy clients that we're helping out, but we're 90% now solar developers. And we work with some of the largest companies in the country and in the world uh, to help big companies, Fortune 500s, meet their sustainability commitments. Uh, you had, uh, on your website, talk about the triple bottom line return strategy. Yeah, you man. mentioned one of the returns there, which is you know, getting these companies to meet their right. you know, future so, needs for sustainability. So talk about what that means. Yeah. So we're a bit of a disruptor in the space to the in and so what we practice is what's called social impact solar. And we've literally trademarked the phrase. And what it means is 
we leverage these incredibly large capital investments. Fellas, the investment with the Martin County project is a quarter of a billion dollars. And so when people ask me, you know, are, are you sorry you didn't get elected governor? L listen, I would have loved to have been governor. Uh, but as governor, I could have never, you know, helped lead a team that's going to result in a quarter of a billion dollar capital investment in one of the poorest counties in the United States, literally four or five miles from where Lyndon Johnson launched the war on poverty. I mean, that's a pretty cool symmetry there. Um, but, I, but the triple bottom line return is a recognition that, of course, renewables pencil. Of course, it's cheaper than coal. Of course, it's becoming more competitive with gas. Of course, your generation, frankly, is demanding it as part of consumer behavior. That's why these companies are responding. So thank you, fellas, for that. Um, but it, it came to us that it can't just be about the economics of the deal. So we produce we produce projects that have a triple bottom line return. The first is that they pencil. They make economic sense. They make money for the developers. They make money for the off takers. They make money for everybody in between. That is a non-negotiable. You can't do good unless you're doing well. To, you know, that's why I'm a capitalist. Um, the second is that by the very nature, these projects demonstrate a commitment to meeting the climate challenge. And what's fascinating about the time we're living in is, despite the fact that President Trump took us out of the Paris Accords, the Fortune 500 man stayed in. And so every time you're watching TV and you see Facebook, Amazon, Google, Apple, Toyota, Anheuser-Busch, Ford, Walmart talking about their sustainability goals, that is their commitment by 2025, 2030, 2035, whenever to be uh, net carbon zero, right? And so the vehicle by which they accomplish that is to buy the power that's generated at these utility-scale renewable energy projects. That's how that works. And so what's fascinating is everybody who thinks it's a bunch of hippie liberals who are pushing the climate agenda could not be more, more wrong. It is investment bankers and C-suite executives and the biggest companies in the world who understand there's no point in building a business in a world that's on fire. And at the same time, recognizing that your generation, which is the largest in American history by a lot, isn't going to buy a chicken sandwich or a Camry uh, without the company having a sustainability commitment. That's that's the world we're living in. And so these big companies are properly motivated. Um, their commitment to the climate challenge is real, but it's also smart business because your generation, even the conservative kids believe in climate change. And we've reached a tipping point. And, you know, we can, you know, politics of fossil fuels are yesterday's argument, fellas. That, that game has shifted forever. And if you don't have a renewable energy offering, then you have no chance of developing modern a modern economy. Yeah, and I think that's uh, one of my favorite parts of what you mentioned there is that now the responsibility seems to be on the uh, in the hands of the CEOs of these Fortune 500 companies, and I'm more comfortable with that. Yeah, you know, those are the people that have a lot of the influence on our society, um, and you know exactly what you're saying there about our generation being the biggest, we're now voting with our dollar. And we, Absolutely. It's hard for us to want to get behind a company that's not acting in a sustainable way. Well, you're not going to. We're and not that's going what they've to. realized. Exactly. And, and, and the, you are the most savvy consumer in the history of human civilization. Mm -hmm. Think about what I just said. You guys in your late 20s and in your 30s are the most savvy consumers in the history of the world, and the market is changing because you're driving it. And that's a very good thing. You know, I'm an Xer, right? I mean, our parents were too busy, you know, doing other things and trying to get their lives together to have more than one or so kids. There is a blue 
billion of y'all and and the market is reacting and it's incredibly powerful. I mean, yeah. it really is. I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't want to get into politics, but Trump takes us out of the out of the Paris Climate Accords. We, of course, have now gone back in. But the, the private sector yawned, said, no, thanks, we're, we're going to hit this anyway. And that's remarkable. And they didn't just do it because they're, you know, do-gooders. They did it because they know the only way they can do well is to sell you to and your generation stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, they see the results. And I've, I've been seeing, you know, companies when they report their earnings are also reporting impact reports, Yeah, which is really cool to see. I love how they're structuring that. ESG is changing everything. And the BlackRock letter changed everything. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, you two know what that is. Some of your listeners may not. But when uh, when Fink, the CEO of BlackRock, which is the largest in- investment bank in the world, said, we're not doing deals with you unless you have a genuine commitment to ESG. And that's just the way it is. That was more important than any act of Congress. It just shows you the time we're living in, right? Now, I happen to believe the government ought to get into the business of saving the planet. I think we're moving that way. But the point is, four years of America really absenting the stage as a global leader on fighting climate, the American business community still drove these commitments. And it just shows you how ingrained it is. That, that's capitalism, you know, working. You said you're it's a capitalist. proper that's capitalism. Right. right. It's but listen, it's it's fallen out of fashion. And I understand why people, you know, uh, Americans have doubts about it, because what we've had is crony capitalism for for two or three decades now. But a socially conscious capitalism does more to lift people out of poverty uh, than any other system. It does more to present uh, a, a meaningful way forward that creates a lot more winners than losers. And it's the way to go. Absolutely when, love that. When you combine capitalism with social cause, I think that's the best force you can have for good. It's the most and efficient. It's for the sure. most efficient. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you've mentioned a lot of uh, a lot of the projects that you guys have going on with with Edelman Ventures. But give us kind of an overview of the pipeline of projects you guys have going on, the geographic footprint. I know you mentioned right. several states they're in and also the dollar value. So, you know, what's crazy is that when you catch an idea and you really do build a better mousetrap, and we think we have. Now, by far, we're we're small players. We are a boutique firm, but we have we have really, the social impact approach to developing is consistent with the ESG ethos of where the business community is now. And we've got communities who need this development, right? It's like App Harvest changed the game for Moorhead, Kentucky. You know, we're trying to do similar things in forgotten places. So it's all mission-driven. And if you want to know about our company, our fundamental founding mission is to bring the promise of renewable energy to the forgotten places of America. So you'll never see us develop, you know, on the outer fringes of a you know, of a, of a wealthy suburb. It's not what we do. I mean, Hamburg. there are people who do that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's not what we do. We are in places like Buchanan County, Virginia. I came to y'all flew here on the ground from Grundy. <laughs> um, we've got a really cool project going there. We, we, everybody, you know, a lot of people know about the project in Martin County that we're doing. We're doing lots of projects in Appalachia, uh, from, uh, from Southwest Virginia to, um, from the coal fields of central, Pennsylvania, um, Appalachia and the South have been our footprint, but I was in New Mexico a week or so ago, um, looking at an opportunity there. So, um, for us, the geographic footprint isn't as important as our commitment to mission and our ability to secure resources to help us meet that. Right. So, um, you know, one thing that may be interesting to, to entrepreneur junkies like y'all is that, you know, we've made the conscious decision not to bring on outside capital. So we've bootstrapped our own operation in order to uh, protect to protect equity and to, and to uh, limit debt. And so, 
you know, that's a decision we've made. Um, and there, you know, there, we've got five or six folks working, uh, in and with our company now. And, and, you know, so we're able to service our population, but listen, the weeks, you know, I'm, I'm doing 80 hour weeks. I've got folks on my team who are doing more than that. And it's, uh, it's an extraordinary time, but man, it's a great time to be alive. I mean, this is, there's some really cool forces of history that have come together to conspire to create this moment. I mean, you've got this enormous technological shift that, that renewable energy represents. You've got the economy shifting to reflect ESG commitments. And for people who want to change the world for the better and to, uh, and to create wealth while doing it, it's the greatest time to be alive in human history. Yeah. Talk about, you know, how these uh, financially make sense. You talk about, you know, you got to get the pencil right. Um, yeah. Talk about, you know, where does the return on investment come for you guys and, you know, the community? Talk about so that. the return, you know, so these these deals generally come together, you know, so I, I'll walk you through how it makes sense for everybody. Yeah. The landowners um, get to take a stranded asset and turn it into a revenue generator for a term of 30 to 50 years. And that's how these these leases uh, work. So for a lot of the, uh, you know, farmers or land companies or old coal companies that we're partnering with, you know, they have the ability to create a significant revenue stream that will last a generation plus. That's a big deal. You know, we make money by, by packaging really good deals and finding good partners to go into that with us. And so there's, there's money to be made there. And then there are, um, there are opportunities for the off-takers who agree to buy the power for a term of generally 15 to 20 years who are able to lock in a power price uh, against one of the you know, certainties, one, a gravitational certainty. And that is the, the price of power increases annually. It just does. We have 130 years of data in the space, and this is what we know. So a company who has a sustainability commitment who wants to demonstrate their commitment to the climate challenge, but at the same time lock in a power rate for 15 to 20 years. I mean, if I came to you and said, listen, um, what are you paying on your power bill at home? I'm like, okay, for a little bit more than what you're paying right now, we can lock that price in for 15 to 20 years. Who doesn't do that deal, right? It's the same way for corporate America. Yeah. Uh, talk about, you said an off-taker and who right. that is. Like, is that a traditional power company? It can yeah. be. Okay. It can be a lot of things. It can be a traditional utility. Um, for instance, LG&E and KU, who have who have been laggards in the space but are beginning to get with it, um, have, an, have an RFP on the street right now that's getting national attention for several hundred megawatts of renewable energy. So they can be an off-taker. Um, I generally work more in the space where a Fortune 500 company is our corporate offtaker. So, you know, when you see any of the companies that I mentioned um, who, in order to demonstrate their commitment to meeting the climate challenge and their own sustainability goals, they buy projects like the ones that I'm partnering and developing in. I think I saw Toyota was one power. of those. I sure. Well, uh, Toyota is certainly one of the leaders in – uh, in driving renewable energy. I mean, mm -hmm. this is this. We talked about the BlackRock letter and how that changed ESG. One thing that's remarkable about what Toyota did is, if you're a big data company, you know it's not easy to go out and procure all the power you need. But it's it's different um, than if you're a heavy manufacturer. So you got a company like Toyota, who was the first in the space to do this, who produces something like. 12 or 13 million cars a year on multiple continents and they said oh yeah we're going to we're going to be carbon net carbon zero by like 2040 that changed the whole ball game and so they are um they're a company who's been very aggressive in this space got it 
Let's uh, let's transition to you guys are specifically working in solar. Mm-hmm. Let's just dive into that a little bit. So from a high level for an average person, how does solar work? So you have, um, and, and so let me point out that because of the increases in technology and only idiots bet against the American economy over the long term and bet against scientific innovation. And the fact of the matter is the panels that are now being produced are so efficient at collecting photovoltaic radiation, which means sunshine, at collecting it that uh, solar works everywhere in America now. There are literally solar farms in Vermont and New Hampshire. Um, it, It works everywhere. And so the old the old myth that, well, it only works in the low latitudes or where it sunshines 330 days a year, that's fundamentally not true. Science solved that problem. And so solar is the collection of uh, of the of the radiance created by the sun and the conversion of that into electric power that we use to power our daily lives. Yeah, and how does that compare to other renewable resources like wind and sure. hydro? Sure. So I'm I'm obvious, like obviously biased because you know what the great thing about solar is it generates power when you need it, right? Mm-hmm. When it's the hottest part of the day and we're running air conditioners, or the coldest and you're running heaters, um, it is it's consistent um, and it's not generally affected by by much uh, environmental considerations aside. They, they really don't. Solar is a really consistent producer. Um, but wind is a big deal and, and wind has gotten a bad rap for, uh, the lies that were told about what happened in Texas, but, but wind is an incredibly efficient, cheap power. A matter of fact, the cheapest power source in America right now is probably West Texas wind, um, uh, because it's so abundant. Um, the issue with wind is that people don't want like, don't like to look at the turbines and, and, you know, you've got NIMBY issues, which I can understand. Uh, wind tends to produce power at night. So wind and solar can be nice levelers of each other. Um, the issue with both, and hydroelectric is great, but the problem is it's really, really expensive, right? If one of these huge uh, uh, underwater turbines breaks down, you're talking months, if not years, to get that thing fixed, um, as opposed to a wind turbine or a solar panel, which can be fixed in real time, particularly panels. Um they they uh they do compare favorably and the issue with them is that you can't yet meaningfully store the power i mean there are some small storage additions to this um but we're not there yet so this is an intermittent power source so you know as as we develop the grid out we want to maintain other forms of power as a backup or as a leveler but as i mentioned earlier only fools bet against scientific innovation guys in our lifetime we'll see the batteries that permit the storage of renewable energy. And fellas, when that comes, it will democratize power to the point that every consumer could be their own utility. I was about to ask, because you took it exactly where I wanted to go, was <clears throat> are you guys going to be using any kind of batteries like what Tesla yeah, developed? Sure. Talk about, I'd love to hear your perspective on where you see like Tesla going. Because everybody's like, you know, Tesla's a car company, they're a renewables company, they're yeah. an artificial intelligence company. So t- answer the question about the batteries and then take that into where you see Tesla I, going. I'd love to do that. So, yes. Yeah, so there are there are some early stage battery technologies that are used that, pr- that provide for the storage of some renewable energy. So, certainly not yet are we at the place where we can store everything that's produced, right? So you'll see projects that say they're 50, 100 megawatts and 50 megawatt storage. You know, that's what that's a reference to. Um, 
but don't bet, don't ever bet against technology. Don't ever bet against innovation, particularly when there is such a financial motivation to get this done. The, every big country in the world, every big company in the world that has an interest in this space is investing billions of dollars to perfect the batteries that we're talking about. Because this one, when it, and when it's perfected, and I'm utterly convinced that it'll happen in our lifetimes, this is going to be one of the great technological advances advances in human history. I mean, it, it will it will be comparative to um, putting a man on the moon. I mean, it will be comparable to um, you know the Gutenberg printing press. I mean, this is what it will literally change so much about how every person on this planet lives, and that's extraordinary. And I would just say this as an editorial comment about somebody who's um, a realistic optimist. You know, fellas, we're going to see many forms of cancer cured in the same generation that figures out how to do how to store energy. I mean, that's just unbelievable, mind blowing, right? I mean, it, it is uh, an extraordinary time. We're so ex- I mean, we're just fortunate to be in the space. I mean, and it gets I mean, it's a big reason why I get up in the morning. Yeah. And, and so, you know, to to apply that to Tesla. You know, I'm a market fundamentals guy. I really am. I'm much more Warren Buffett than I am Elon Musk. I like how you've already started. Yeah, yeah, but but but, however, I mean, the dude is has taken this company that produces only like you know struggles to produce four or five hundred you know thousand cars a year, and they're you know by market cap the most valuable yeah. company in the world. So imagine if you're GM or Toyota cranking out twelve or thirteen million of these this year, and you're like, we're worth a paltry you know, 300, you know, billion dollars and, and, uh, and, and Tesla's blowing by. Listen, I think that's going to sort itself out, but I love the innovation. Do I think, do I think Musk is reckless in his approach to innovation? Yeah. Right. I mean, this is, I mean, I, I wish he would focus, right. But if this is what motivates this cat and he looks in traffic and says, Hey, let's, um, let's drill holes in the California roadside and, and, in, in, you know, transport people that way, or wouldn't it be cool to sell a flamethrower, you know, under the, uh, under the guise of that it's not really a flamethrower. I mean, I, I love, I mean, there's, you know, he's got a, there's a Tesla in space, right? And so there's a, there has to be a PT Barnum element to this. And if that's what fuels the guy, I'm thankful for it. But, but he is, we now have proof of concept that large scale electric vehicles can work and be desirous in the marketplace. And that is, and, and if and if he went bankrupt tomorrow, that is a legacy accomplishment that will be appreciated 500 years from now. Yeah, I think his eccentricness and, and his recklessness, I do agree. I, I wish that would be toned back a little yeah. bit. But at the same time, that attracts so much attention to the issues he's trying to solve. Sure. And that's, I think, going to motivate a lot of our generation to really yeah. get behind this guy. He knows I, who he's speaking to. He knows who he's speaking to. Yeah. He knows his target audience. He's got audience. his yeah, memes going. Sure. He's got his He can read Doge the room, coin. guys. And he, and he doesn't <laughs> care about the investment bankers on Wall Street. And, and this is... You know, the guy knows what he's doing and he and Bezos are in a in a daily hourly competition for who's the richest man on the planet. And I say, you know, uh, more power to him. Just don't forget to help everybody else. Uh, real quick. This is out of personal curiosity. Um, you said, you know, you started with I'm a, I'm a Buffett guy. Fundamentals, 100 percent. We've gotten away from fundamentals and kind of the financial markets recently. Uh, kind of. Kind of. Just a little bit. Yeah. Kind of. Just a little bit. Um, you, let's talk Let's talk about you know Tesla's investment in Bitcoin, if you have any thoughts, any kind of... So this is a great story. So I am, uh, 
have just been elected state auditor. It is the Derby of 2012, and I'm and uh, my wife and I are at a dinner party in Louisville, and this is this is one of the great Derby parties of all time. And the fella sitting next to me is Cameron Winklevoss. Oh no! And wow. and Winklevoss, uh, you know, we we have a very good mutual friend who lives in Louisville by the name of Jonathan Blue, and Winklevoss is in my ear all night about Bitcoin. And this is 2012, <laughs> right? And and so. I don't think I'd heard anything about it, and we, we, we still follow each other on Twitter. He is a terrific guy, but I was like, what you're describing is a stateless currency, and that doesn't make any sense to me. And he said, Adam, that's exactly what we're describing. And when you democratize currency production and ownership, you get an inherent accountability built into it, something which is what he was describing early stage blockchain, right? And so what... Uh, that conversation was fascinating. I, I later asked our host if if he was drunk, and he said, "Yeah, I don't understand any of that at all." But if I'd put, you know, he, I think he wanted me to put twenty or twenty five grand into into Bitcoin in twenty twelve. Oh, I can't imagine <laughs> what that would be worth now. But it's, um, uh, you know, there, there are guys who listen, and, and you can be keenly aware of certain innovations, like I am in the in the um, in the energy space, but in in, in government and business, but blind to them and others. And and I just didn't buy uh literally or figuratively Bitcoin. And yeah. um but but there is a market for it. And it and you know my first thought is, you know, you're creating a currency for arms dealers, right? I mean this is this is people who need to operate below, but it, it's much broader than that. And um, you know, and and so that was twenty twelve. So seven years later, I think my campaign for governor, we were the first one to to try to attempt Bitcoin as a contribution, so I mean, no it just way. shows you. So one of the, what I I just think it's so important being an entrepreneur and trying to be an innovator to be humble, and to and to celebrate the misses as much as you celebrate the hits, right? Yeah. So, you know, do I wish I had you know I didn't have twenty five grand at the time. I don't think to put into Bitcoin, uh, but do I wish I'd put something into it? Yeah, I, of course I do. I mean, it's a where is it now? Forty thousand or fifty six? Yeah. yeah, and I'm yeah. I'm like two weeks late, and it's at fifty six. Sure, right? But it's an awesome story. Yeah, and it and it and it's an example of one that I didn't get right, and I spend a lot more time. You know, I'm, listen, I'm somebody who's failed more in life than he succeeded. But but the great thing about being self-made, the great thing about being a farmer's kid is that all those successes and failures are my own. And I wouldn't trade that for the world. That's a big part of what we try to do on this podcast is not only highlight what people are doing well and the companies that are really killing it, but also what kind of mistakes did you make along the way? I yeah, mean, and who's you know, self-made and who's not, right? Like this exactly. is a big, not everybody can be a CEO or a governor's kid, right? This yep. is This is about democratizing opportunity. And I love coming on shows like this because you don't have to be, you don't have to be on third base, you know, be born on third base in this country to do something big and important. I mean, it's the essence of Americanism, if you ask me, meritocracy. Mm-hmm. And that is more alive, I think, in the ESG ethos of capitalism than anywhere else. Yeah, absolutely. And let's, uh, let's take this conversation and bring it to Kentucky a little bit here. Um, what is Kentucky doing well in terms of, of renewables and in terms of the investment going into renewable energy? Right Very now. little. I mean, the, the honest answer is currently next to nothing. I mean, mm-hmm. it is, you know, the upside for developers who are working in Kentucky is that um, nobody here ever contemplated a renewable energy future. So um, a lot of us are spending more time asking for forgiveness than permission because there there's no 
set of policies that conceived of a renewable energy in the state because we're culturally a coal state. And I get it, right? We just never, we never really thought the day was coming. And so we didn't plan for it. And that's, that's a shame because states like Virginia, where I was just a few hours ago, North Carolina, um, in our part of the country have, have enjoyed 10 years of significant capital investment, uh, private capital investment, which is the best kind um, because they they saw this coming and planned for it. We didn't do that here in Kentucky. There are some green shoots, right? Um, the uh, uh, Governor Bashir made an excellent appointment. His first appointment to the Public Service Commission is a, is a young guy named Kent Chandler. Um, Kent is, uh, uh, you know, his job was to fight the utilities in the in the Attorney General's office. Kent will be chairman of the Public Service Commission. I hope a little later this year. He has both a great he has a great both vision level and granular level grasp of what a renewable energy economy in Kentucky looks like. So that's very positive. And the um, and the the state cabinet for um, uh, uh, energy and environmental protection is currently working on some tools to help developers be able to identify sites. Um, that are suitable for solar development. So those are two very positive green shoots. But fellas, against that backdrop, you've got, you know, this legislature, you know, last session gutted net metering, which which is preclude, which which makes it more difficult for residential folks to be able to afford solar because it allows the utilities to dictate the cost that they get to pay for the power that a user puts on the grid. And I don't, I, it shouldn't be controversial that the utility ought to pay for the power the same amount that they charge you, but it is what <laughs> yeah. it is. But that was a huge step back. I mean, that's like this big flashing red light to the to modern economic developers that we're not Kentucky's not on the grid for new new economy economic development. That was a big problem, and you and there's literally a bill in the legislature right now. I don't think it's going anywhere this session that would in effect ban the use of any agricultural property for solar development. And and I for one remember when. It was a central tenet of conservative orthodoxy to believe in uh, landowner rights, but I, I guess that's going out the window. So, you know, it's it's uh, it feels like one step forward, two steps back. Um, but there are also a couple of billion dollars worth of private capital investment that are in the queue now in the solar space in Kentucky. And eventually the politicians are just going to have to catch up because you can't a poor state like this can't say, no, we're good because yeah. we're not. Is that the way to to make those changes? Is to have the private private sector be the ones that are making the investment and kind of force the politicians to follow along? So I think or I think the happen? state has been a real laggard. Like I, I have never had better partners in government in 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 doing any kind of business than the ones I have in Martin County, Kentucky, and Buchanan County, Virginia, where these are major uh, centers of what used to be the coal economy in Appalachia. These guys are all conservative Republicans, and they understand private capital investment, and their attitude has been fantastic. We moved a $300 million industrial revenue bond in Martin County. Now, that doesn't cost the county anything, but it is a powerful demonstration, or the taxpayers, but it's a powerful demonstration that these guys in Martin County, Kentucky, all Republican, all conservative, all coal guys, um, did a big important leadership moment to make this project a reality. That that's incredible. What's happening in in Coalfields, Virginia, where we're working now, or just came from, is extraordinary. 
Now, the state lines matter a lot. In Virginia, the, gov- the governor just announced that they are going to use a big portion of their abandoned mine land uh, grant dollars to incent solar development on old coal sites. Uh, we haven't seen that kind of leadership in Kentucky yet. My hope is, is it coming. Um, the Virginia legislature, while we're trying to trying to shoot holes in the global economy, we're trying to tell the world that the earth is flat. In Virginia, a Republican coal field legislator literally just passed a bill unanimously through both houses that would provide up to $20 million in incentives to solar developers to work in coal country in Virginia. And so leadership makes the difference, guys, whether you're in government or whether you're in business, leadership makes the difference. And uh, Kentucky is not yet where it needs to be. My hope is that um, we'll get there. Um, The governor made a terrific first appointment to the Public Service Commission. That matters a lot. Um, The the cabinet is beginning to do, um, you know, to do some good work to support this effort. But we're not even in the ballgame. Uh, yet, so what's happening here is all organic and literally uh, happening uh, not because of our state government, but because, but in spite of it. Yeah. So talking about like organic and great leaders, and back to the private side of things, give us your thoughts on what Jonathan Webb and App Harvest are doing. Well, I'm biased because Jonathan has been a good friend of mine for a long time, and and he's you know he he pitched this idea to me on my couch you know, what felt like a hundred years ago. But this is this is an example of leaders making the difference because um, the reason, you know, like the ninth largest building in the world is now in Moorhead, Kentucky, is because Jonathan, uh, what, Jonathan is absolutely incapable of taking no for an answer. And he didn't take no for an answer from any of the big financiers in this country. He, I, you know, I've, I've heard the stories behind the scenes. He browbeat some of the largest funders, the largest uh, investment bankers, the largest financiers in the world into doing this. I think there were some very well-known mega investors who just invested in this so Jonathan would go away. And it is, um, um, I'm all in on the app harvest concept. It makes total economic sense. But it doesn't make so much economic sense that it's doing as well as it is. What's compelling about this is the vision and the ability of people who feel left out by this economic transition we're living in to envision themselves as part of it. I mean, App Harvest had, and I, you know, we do a lot of work with App Harvest, but App Harvest had something like 4,000 applicants for 300 jobs in Moorhead. You know, these are good jobs, but they're not. 4,000 people signing up for 300. And the reason they did it was because people want to be a part of this. And when you can connect a compelling vision that results in societal change and shareholder return, you have got the Holy Grail. And my friend Jonathan, who is, you know, crazy as a bed bug, man, is has pulled this off and built a first-class team around him. I mean, look at the board. Yeah. I mean, you got guys like Greg Couch, local guys like Greg Couch, who's ma- managing a billion and a half dollars, literally built this on his own. You've got, you know, new economy entrepreneurs like Kieran Batraju, who built um, who, who built um, Arcadia Power, which is a digital utility um, that's renewably sourced. That's a guy you should have on. He's originally from Pikeville, by the way. And then, oh, yeah, you've got, you know, you've got Martha Stewart and, you know, J.D. Vance. I mean, this is no joke. And a lot of other talented people. But it's um it, it it is a it is a good idea with a great vision and a great leader great leadership team making it happen. 
I think one of the the most exciting parts for me watching App Harvest is watching how accepting the state has been mm-hmm. of saying, all right, we are now redefining the economy in Kentucky. And I think that willingness to adapt to new and exciting ideas that I think Evan and I look at that and what we're trying to do here and we're like, yes, that is what needs to be happening. So talk about what the future of renewable energies needs to be in Kentucky and how Kentucky kind of needs to. So to we, we have that. to be, we have to get with it. I, I don't mind to tell you that the, the most impressive econ, state-based economic development team I have ever come across is Tennessee's and it, and you can see the manifestation of that. And the Tennessee may be the hottest economic development state. Nashville. Yeah, it's it's booming, right? But I mean, they are doing well everywhere. And it's not just because they they have the old economy stuff. It's because they are, they understand that quality of life is an economic development tool. And they understand that that, um, uh, you got to have a simplified tax structure and all that to get there. But you know, they, they I was I had a meeting with them last year, and and it just wasn't with their economic development commissioner. It was with his entire leadership team, and you know the conversation was, you know, two years ago, five years ago, when we would respond to an industrial site selection RFP that nobody asked about renewable energy, and now they're insisting on it, right? And so in Tennessee, they recognize that this is a precondition for modern economic development. And they are uh, requiring the TVA, who has a monopoly there, to be more friendly to renewable energy development. And and it's going to continue to pay off. They have eliminated what could have potentially been a limiting factor on their economic growth, right? And you, you just aren't going to bring any new economy state, any new economy company to a state that's that's relying on fossil fuels. I mean, we we you, we can say whether that's good or bad, because it's like gravity. It just is. And that's a reality of where we are. So... Um, Kentucky could do some big things to get in the game. We could pass a renewable energy standard like so many other states in this country that insist that the utilities use as a, a part of their portfolio renewable energy. That would be a great place to start. Um, adopting some of the credits that are used, the incentives that are used in other states. Virginia is very publicly going to use abandoned mine land grant funds to incent solar development in the coal fields. We ought to do the same thing here in Kentucky. Um, Virginia just voted to, you know, dedicate more incentives to incent solar development. Kentucky ought to do the same thing. Um, but the good news is we may not have to wait longer because it's clear that the Biden administration is going to put a heavy focus on renewable energy development as part of any economic recovery strategy, as part of, of uh, you know, of any infrastructure bill. I think most people think that the one thing that the parties will be able to agree on is a big infrastructure bill, and that's good because it's a fantastic investment, and grid modernization will be part of that. Um, but you know, we just have to recognize the world we're in. I mean, it, the, the truth of the matter is, Kentucky was great at economic development when we had like a nineteen you know eighties focus, right? We we developed economic development incentives. We were we pioneered that. We we brought companies like Toyota here, and as a result, you know, a generation later, we're the third largest automotive manufacturer in America. That's awesome. But if Toyota wouldn't come here today, uh, Toyota is only going to states where they're able to access renewable energy in the future, and that they're not unique in that. And so we've got to have an economic development strategy that recognizes that in the new economy, you have to have a culturally welcoming state. You have to demonstrate an investment in education and healthcare. You've got to have a simplified tax structure. That doesn't mean lower taxes, guys. It just means not one riddled with so many loopholes 
that you pay accountants and and lawyers more than you would in new taxes to figure it out. And finally, you've got to offer renewable energy. And um, we're not doing enough of those today and haven't been for a long time. Well, perfect. Those I, I love the kind of concrete steps that you just laid out. And I hope that, you know, somebody can listen to this and uh, talk to the right people and start making these things happen. Because I think the future is very bright for Kentucky, but uh, we've got to stay focused on. Exactly Logan, what you're I agree about with here. you, but let me correct you in one thing. We are the right people. And what's so fascinating about what's happening with new economy, economic development in Kentucky and innovation just writ large across the world, it's hyper democratic and that it's being run by a couple of guys in a you know, in an office space somewhere who just decided to change the world, right? That's where this is coming from. And so, you know, this is about empowerment. And eventually, if we lead, you know, laggard politicians will catch up. And, and other people who don't, I mean, listen, man, had I suggested repurposing a coal mine into a solar array 10 years ago, I'd have been shot, right? <laughs> and now I have, I have a litany of coal companies that we're partnered with who want to do precisely that. And, you know, we can either sit and argue about political differences or we can just get this done, do a big, important thing for communities, help save the planet and everybody makes money. Yeah, that's that's where I want to be. Love it. Absolutely. Well, what can we and by we, I mean, Evan and I and the people listening to this podcast do to support you? And yeah, you well, listen, just follow along. Right. We need to do regular updates. I hope you'll have me back. Yeah, you know, sure. I'd like to host um, I'd like to have you guys up on one of these sites. We'll do a field awesome. trip sometime. Um, but follow me at, at uh, I think my Twitter pro, pro handle is uh, Adam H. Edlin. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm a big LinkedIn guy. Um, but but follow us and we'll keep you updated. But if you believe in a modern world, right, whether you live in Kentucky or Bangladesh, if you believe in modernity and you believe that the future doesn't have to suck, then tell people you don't think it has to be has to suck. What we can do is raise the culture of expectations where we live. That's ultimately how we're going to save the planet and all the people who live on it is to raise the level of expectation that there is a huge difference between surviving and thriving. Love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, we're excited to watch you keep on changing the world. Hey, man, excited to be with you all.